0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org.
1: Our desire is to honor and share the best parts of the Christian contemplative traditions so that this collective wisdom might serve the flourishing of humanity, all beings, and all of creation. My name is Ben Kesey, and I lead the development team at the Center for Action and Contemplation. I want to thank all of you who are generous donors giving freely and cheerfully to make this work possible. If you've been impacted by these podcast conversations and are inspired to invest in the future of CAC's mission and work, twice per year, we invite your financial support. To contribute, go to cac.org slash donate to make a gift. Thank you so much.
0: Welcome to season two of Another Name for Everything casual conversations with Richard Rohr, responding to listener questions from his new book, The Universal Christ, and season one of this podcast.
1: As mentioned previously, this podcast is recorded on the grounds of the Center for Action and Contemplation and may contain the quirky sounds of our neighborhood and setting. We are your hosts. I'm Paul Swanson.
0: And I'm Bree Stoner.
1: We're staff members of the Center for Action and Contemplation and students of this contemplative path, trying our best to live the wisdom of this tradition amidst high-fiving our partners after putting the kids down, missed phone calls, and the shifting state of our world.
0: This is the fourth of 12 weekly episodes. Today, we're addressing your questions on the theme of non-duality, including and transcending in relationships, community, and religion. We split this theme into two episodes, and this is part one of that conversation. So, Richard, this phrase that you've been using um, both in the last season uh, as well as in this season, include and transcend, is so helpful because it orients us to maybe a a right relationship and ordering of how to live in a more non-dual way (laughs) that we have to include, that there's an inclusionary first step in order to transcend um, maybe former containers or Um, unhelpful ideologies. So we had a lot of people ask questions about how do we do that? How do we do that in relationship? How do we do that in community? Uh, What does including and transcending look in the very practical everyday, uh, zooming in to decisions, to choices, to conversations? Um, So this first question is from Luana from British Columbia in Canada. Through each episode of the podcast, but particularly as it was wrapping up, I've been wondering how do I continue my journey while showing kindness to my elderly parents? They're a semi-retired pastoral couple whose own very dual evangelicalism has been and become more extreme. They're in their late 80s. It's exhausting to be talked to about biblical principles over and over. (laughs) It's very formulaic and morally based, and now they're doing it to our kids. And it's because we raised our kids as a part of a house church. How does one deal with family who out of fear of hell feel the need to confront and witness at every opportunity? Mm -hmm. Is there an appropriate way in which to set up strong boundaries? My evangelical baggage then asks, is that even Christ-like to have boundaries? To quote my teenagers, I just can't even because I'm exhausted. I would love to hear your thoughts.
2: Wow, this is subtle demands wisdom wisdom Uh, I'm glad uh, Luana has come to the word boundaries because that's the heart of the matter I'm going to get philosophical for a minute allow me Uh, first you have to clarify distinction Like we say, the Father is the Father. The Father is not the Son. But the Father is one with the Son by infinite love. But it starts with the clarifying of boundaries before you overcome those boundaries with love. Now what, what she's giving a wonderful example of is that sometime we have to return to those boundaries for the sake of truth. Uh, Now, I don't mean truth speaking has always got to be cruel or hard, but um, particularly if I'm the parent of some children or something, and they're being put in a situation where I know they're going to be given some unhealthy, dualistic, punitive, angry, fear-based, use whatever word you want, I think it's entirely appropriate to restate boundaries. Now, how do you do that with your own parents without creating very hurt feelings and even a, a family argument? You're going to have to find the language. I don't know what language will work in your family, speaking to Luana, but that you recognize it, it's It's not your place to create a dilemma for your kids. To have you saying one thing at home, completely contradicted by grandma on Sunday. Uh, All you're doing is creating more complexity for your kids in a very complex world. If your relationship allows you in their late 80s, you would hope they'd be ready for a little... Usually you move toward non-duality naturally. But a lot of evangelicals don't because the, they took such pride in their dualistic thinking. Mm. They don't realize that. Mm. They form their identity out of strict dualistic thinking. So can you imagine letting go of that is letting go of the self. I'm not trying to judge her grandparents, but she's already seeing the problem. Uh, is there a way?
0: think for me... Um, Go ahead,
2: please. Give me your answer. You well, have children. No, I don't.
0: I just... I, it, it, I've been in a similar situation where I had family members, um, like my, my grandparents, who have a very different belief system than I do um, and kind of adhere to a more conservative background, or they did. And um, one of the things that I found as the, the happy medium was to say, can you trust God with me? Mm-hmm. Can you trust... Can you entrust me to God? Therefore, I don't need you to preach at me every time you see me, or I don't need you to... It, can you just take that concern, which I know wow. is based out of love, mm-hmm. take it to God, pray for me, pray for me all day yes, long. Yes,
2: that they understand.
0: Right. But when you feel the impulse to, to talk to me about my, my own beliefs, can I just ask you to entrust me to God in that moment and to not that's
2: beautiful. But you had such a conversation.
0: Yeah. And it I have to say, I don't know that it I don't know that it's possible to have these kinds of conversations without hurt feelings or no. you know, because it's it is difficult to to trust. Yes. You know, and, and when I do think that these things are motivated out of love and, and concern. Sure, yeah. So yeah,
2: but you used a language they would understand. Prayer I tried to and trust God. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, and I mean
1: yeah. I come from a similar background in a lot of ways. And I think there's an element of self care that one needs to note too of if I do want to engage in these kind of dialogues, how much can I can I do that in a way where I'm not just being trounced on or the, the, the power mm. dynamics of family mm. to be able to say, you know, we've talked about this for a while, let's take a break, maybe we can come back and talk to it, you know, five years from now or something <laughs> or in <never>. a way <laughs> but in a way that, that helps give you a sense of your own empowerment of like, this is where I stand and I'm not trying to belittle your own, your beliefs and your, and your standards of, of being in the world. But I also need you to at least hear this. And then if we can't kind of respect these rules, then we shouldn't keep that door too wide open. Maybe we can try again. Uh, once we've all kind of settled back into our corners in a way, not in an antagonistic way, but because mm-hmm. I think boundaries get encroached like that. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's enmeshment and hurt feelings. And then it just mm-hmm. takes on a life of its own versus being able to like hold one another in that love.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's family though, isn't it? Like yeah. enmeshment and confusing yeah. Yeah. boundaries. And, yeah, and you were you were mentioning in the last episode how the, uh, impetus of I ought to, or I should, yeah. I think that plays a part in this because we all feel somewhat guilty that, you know, that we do have a need for boundaries maybe, yeah. or that, that, that there is some differentiation that needs to happen. I, I even think about the fact that that side of my family would have these weekly gatherings every Sunday. And from, you know, since I lived in the States, we would go to this, to this Mm -hmm. weekly gathering. And there were aspects of it that were so beautiful and amazing. Like, look at this family gathering weekly. But there were also a lot of really toxic conversations that after a while I realized, I don't think I can go every Sunday. Mm -hmm. I can't keep doing this to myself. Like, I actually leave depleted, exhausted, feeling like I had to argue for myself. So I don't know, Richard, would you speak to that part of us that wants to honor our parents or our loved ones, our family members, I think some of us might be maybe feel torn with the desire to want to honor our elders and also find our own yes. healthy middle ground place.
2: My words are going to be weak because I've never had to deal with it i I've always had parents, my grandparents were dead, but parents who thought like I did because they listened to my tapes <laughs> start, <converted> starting them. <laughs> in the 70s, really. Wow. Now, uh, yeah. so uh, knowing your personalities, I have to believe, I know you're going to say it kindly. Uh, your difficulty might be saying it clearly. Do you know what I'm saying, Grandma? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we, we can't let the kids hear talk of fire and brimstone. That's just not... Of course, then that'll take on a fight with you. You don't believe in hell or something like <laughs> that. So say as little as you can, but as clear as you can, mm-hmm. not using any Electric words, which are going to accuse them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but knowing, I think you said it, Bree. Uh, there'll almost necessarily be some hurt feelings, mm-hmm. yeah. and you can't. It's not your job to make sure that you don't hurt anybody's feelings. Jesus never said that. Thou shalt not hurt other people's feelings. Right. <laughs> That's what necessary boundaries insist on. Uh, I was watching something, where was it, on marriage uh, of people who had gone into a separation or even a divorce. And they said, There comes a point where you have the freedom and the confidence to say to another person, I really do love you, but that doesn't mean we have to live together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Real clear on both. I really do love you. That doesn't mean we have to live together. Mm -hmm. Just in that kind of starkness. Now you don't want to say that to your grandparents. But um, you have to say something comparable. If if they've really taken it upon themselves to be the catechists of your children. And to be uh, invested in a dualistic our punitive, or exclusionary worldview. If we don't, Christianity is going to continue, as that the real message is exclusion. Mm-hmm. We, we, if this isn't the law, the, the line in the sand, what is the line in the sand for the reform of Christianity? Mm-hmm. And it might even cause a temporary separation, mm-hmm. hopefully not a permanent one. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this brings us to um, not just within intergenerational family conversations and dynamics, but we got a few questions here on uh, within partnership and marriage about having different perspectives on this. So this question comes from Daniel in Michigan. Unfortunately, my bride in Enneagram one is threatened by the podcast and the book. Recently, she told me, Everything I fundamentally need to know about God I learned when I was six years old. My wife goes to Bible studies, loves church, sings in the worship band, is a devoted Christian, and always seeks to please God. But her inflexible, absolute personality simply cannot let her hear anything different than the things she has learned when she was six. When I talk to our son, who is 17 years old, about the podcast and the book and Richard Rohr, it's an offense to her. She says, I'm disrespecting her when I talk to our son about the ideas of the universal Christ. Is there any hope of sharing these ideas from the podcast with my beautiful, dogmatic, (laughs) perfectionist bride of 27 years?
2: That is real, isn't it? My goodness. You can see how he loves her and respects her. And since I'm an Enneagram One, I guess I can speak to it. The Enneagram One creates their identity by their rightness. And uh, it feels like she's created a pretty strong boundary around that. She can't possibly mean that her little six-year-old mind (laughs) could have known everything about God. She's pulled God into a very small frame. Now, I know he can't say that to her. Maybe he can. Maybe he can. But um, she's afraid of ambiguity. Uh, Sounds like very little tolerance for ambiguity. And a fear of being wrong. Uh, Sounds like I'm correcting her. I guess I feel that freedom because I know... (laughs) How we ones need correction, <laughs> uh, and we don't. But we don't take it very well, because we're so identified in being right. Uh, wow.
0: It's interesting because Gina um, brought up a similar question about being on a different page than her partner, and that he even considers her lost, lost. similar to Daniel's question. She says, "I'm starting to feel concerned for our marriage. Can you offer?" any advice for how we may be able to come to some sort of respectful and peaceful understanding when your partner thinks that these ideas will destroy our family. So I think this seems to be a, um, a theme that's coming up in questions about partnership, which is what do we do when one of us um, is ready to embrace these ideas and our partner is not? How do we find the respectful way to coexist and continue in our partnerships?
2: You know, we've, I've said to the students in the living school, um, the gospel doesn't solve your problem. It creates new problems for you, Mm -hmm. but we're not used to thinking of the gospel that way. And even Paul must have been facing this, uh, you know, we call it in the Catholic church, the Pauline privilege where he says very directly, if this is authentic, Paul, I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter, it's in there. Uh, You cannot yoke a believer with an unbeliever. That's pretty dualistic, isn't it? Mm. But he must have seen the the inability for two people with completely different worldviews, especially in the spiritual realm, to persist in partnership. Uh, I'd say the same thing that I'd say about war you have to take every possible means to resolve the conflict before you uh, take violent means which I guess in this case we'd mean separation or divorce but it is interesting to me that, that Paul makes allowance for that you cannot yoke a believer with an unbeliever wow Uh, so certainly love is primary certainly forgiveness is primary Uh, but when she so closes him down in the first uh, story Mm -hmm. you know that he can't talk to his son about his belief um, that's not so good Apparently she's allowed to talk about her belief, I don't know. But do you see how it sets up almost mm-hmm. total conflicts? So do we both shut up and <laughs> not talk to our son? Yeah. And then Gina's the uh, same but even harder concern that he's saying she's lost. Again, you see the, the immense limitations of rigid cognitive thinking, all-or-nothing thinking, mm-hmm. dualistic thinking. I'm sometimes fearing in my later years I'm becoming a, a one-trick pony uh, that again and again my response to things is that's the dualistic mind. That's again the dualistic mind. Mm-hmm. I see it in single-issue voting is a dualistic mind. I see this when one partner in a marriage is Totally dualistic, even considering their partner lost mm-hmm. because you can't be as rigid as I am. So there's no ability to include and therefore there's no ability to transcend. Mm-hmm. Now, we'd also have to say it's not your responsibility to change that person.
0: That's important. I yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Oh, that must be hard to let go of but to state your own belief, your own needs, I need this much. Mm -hmm. Can you give me this much? If the partner cannot meet what I would hope are basic needs, then one does have to talk about new boundaries, Mm -hmm. new boundaries. Maybe our word for that was separation.
0: I think we've seen this so much at the center at our conferences and our living school students where you see that many of the students who come or conference attendees are one of an equation of partnership. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's one member who who is passionate about this, interested in it and um, not maybe not there with their partner. That's right. And I think in the best case scenario or at least the best worst case scenario that that represents that I've heard from so many people is if there can at least be a base understanding that we trust each other enough to be exploring the things that are life-giving to us and that there's some sense of mutuality in that trust. like I'm fine if you wanna be more conservative and traditional about these things. Can you also be fine with mm-hmm. my, my need to explore concepts that are different than yours? But that is so difficult in a culture that has equated marriage with collapsing into each other yeah. and believing all the same things, being on the same page, you know, and the yeah. idea that there's something wrong if you guys aren't on the same page about everything. Yeah,
1: yeah that's that's there's so much truth in what you just said. And I think yes. being able to I mean, this is what I think why it's fun to celebrate just the word the way partnership has has kind of become a new way of approaching a relationship because then. It's not, uh, you know, the old romanticized version of like you complete me Mm -hmm. where like you're, you're, you are whole in yourself and you are partnering with someone on Mm -hmm. a relationship journey that has, I mean, it's exploring frontiers and, you know, sometimes one of you will be taking the lead. Other times there'll be the other person taking the lead. And if that like the richness is in that conversation, right? Of, of beautiful allowing that that difference to to thrive in a way, so that you can learn from one another. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what you're saying is, how do we help create the conditions for that? Yeah. So mm-hmm. that one person who's going on this path of uh, resonating with the universal Christ and seeing the cosmos in this way, how does that become? Um, okay for for yeah. the partner who doesn't see that.
0: Well, it gets at that. What were you saying, Richard, earlier in in the previous podcast about our need for uh, security, separation, mm-hmm. control? Mm-hmm. Like that is, I mean, when you think about how we think about love. There's so much control wrapped up in that. Like so much about so much. what we have popularized as love and marriage, which is just about sameness, comfort, let's stay in our routine, don't do anything that surprises me you know or heaven yes. forbid is is yes. you know a mystery to me don't grow mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> that's what that's what the first one is talking about one who says don't grow mm-hmm. I, or saying I don't have to grow yeah mm-hmm. but you can see why this mindset resisted any notion of evolution because mm-hmm. their worldview is not a growth change worldview even though those are Jesus very first First words, change. Mm-hmm. And believe the good news. You two are talking about it so much better than I can because you've lived it on a, on a heart level. I'll come back with a simple philosophical statement. The difference between unity and uniformity. And they're almost always confused with people in the early stages of life. Mm-hmm. They think unity is uniformity. Yeah. Actually, spiritual unity is diversity maintained and protected by love. Mm. that just as in the Trinity. Maintain, diversity, not sameness protected. I love you enough to let you do it a little different mm. than me. And now we have a word for that. Uh, people who can do that, we call them codependent right. huh? yeah. And we all know codependent marriages. What you see happens, is that one or both of them stop growing after a while one has to surrender themselves to the other person's uh dictates worldviews and the irony is that worldview is usually rather small Mm. Mm -hmm. they both lose because the person with a larger worldview would never ask their partner to stop growing Mm. But that's what some partners do. They're saying, be codependent upon me. Mm. I think that's one of the better psychological words that's come out. Whereas what we now know is a mature marriage, and you two represent it, is much more interdependent, where there's a self here, there's a self here, and it's two equals learning to give and take. Mm -hmm. That's love, you know? Two individuals learning to give and take,
1: and I, I think too, like um, the importance of having models of relationships who uh, who can can share that with with younger folks. Um, that was one of my big fears uh, before I got married: was am I going to be an impediment to Laura's own growth? Mm. Be- and I think being able to have those conversations with with folks who have been together for a long stretch of the road, yes. and you see them still vibrant and vivacious and curious about life and in and, and the wonder it it sparks that like this is possible and i don't think i think there's also just the example of so many kind of collapsed flattened uh relationships where you feel like what am i doing like how how is this a, a path of transformation and how do, how do we help one another out of those ruts
0: mm-hmm. yeah I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk about the fear that I sense under these two questions. And there were, I mean, we picked two of these. It was hard two. to narrow it down. There were many, many yeah. others that were in a similar vein, which is the ways that we've conflated a quote-unquote successful marriage with being good Christians. Mm. Oh. Because I, you know, I, I kind of represent the, <coughs> the the failure pattern here of that. Of I, I got married very young. Um, very, very young, and I've been working hard in the last several years on a path of learning to forgive myself for the fact that I did choose to separate and to end my marriage, which was a very painful decision and not one that I'm condoning or promoting, but is one that um, I remember as I was going through the discernment process of that and i was in the living school and i remember i went to jim finley you know crying and i was like tell me to stay in my marriage tell me that all i have to do is just stay in the marriage that that's what god wants me to do no matter what and i'll i'll just give my suffering well, grit to my jesus teeth
2: and bear it. yes right <laughs> like i was like i'll
0: just turn it into my monastery and i'll just deal with it you know and i'll figure it out but tell me that that's the right thing to do and he wouldn't do it he mm. wouldn't do it he'll say you know maybe that's something you could do and maybe that that path will open up new connections with your husband maybe you'll find new roads maybe you'll you'll foster a new relationality or maybe God is waiting for you on the other side of this choice to believe that God wants what you want at the core of who you are and that God isn't judging you for that and it blew my mind because I realized that many of us who've grown up as Christians especially women, I think, in particular, hmm. have internalized the idea of divorce as an ultimate failure. So just, I wonder if you have a word for, I'm not saying that the people who are asking these questions need to or should even be thinking about right. that. More that I, I know that for many of us who have made that choice, there is a little bit of a conflation between being a good Christian woman is you stick it out no matter what.
2: <laughs> you know, all, much of this proceeds from a fundamental, in my opinion, misperception, and that is that we come to God by doing it right. And you lay this all on the whole institution of marriage. Wow. When in fact the doctrine of the cross is the inclusion of imperfection, which in fact is saying, no, the big thing that brings you to God is your mistakes. You see, so we gotta go that deep with this whole thing. Not not that the point is to justify separation and divorce, but that we are so absolutely anemic to the possibility of a failed relationship. The underlying lie is that we can't integrate failure. That's That's it, And we should have been the experts at it. All things being equal, I'd love it if every marriage would be eternally successful. But I can say it now, because all my aunts and uncles and parents are dead, huge families on both sides, almost all of them were good Catholic, German, Kansas farm morality, stuck together till the end. But I gotta say very quickly, how many of them were happy from my childhood observation How many of them was the woman free? Mm. Very few. So, okay, they did it right. But in some ways, they did it wrong. (laughs) And uh, thank God I can have this distance now to say that without hurting anybody's feelings, I hope. Um, Because there was no allowance for mistake for failure to use the christian word for sin okay own the sin and then bring that for healing we were supposed to be the experts in healing if we had created a ritual for healing that was equal to the marriage ritual i think we would have had a much better theology of marriage yes. or, and a lot more healthily married people
0: yeah or what about change like this is the thing that mm-hmm. i think is in many ways, the institution of marriage got set up in the same ways that our theological view of God is unchanging, mm. which is this idea that, okay, you're going to stay the same forever now and you're not going to change, and you're not going to grow and you're not going to evolve. and you, you know, So it's almost as though we didn't make space for the possibility of change. And even now, I think, I don't, I don't know that my marriage was a failure. I've learned so much. Mm. I am so grateful. I am who I am because of it. And so almost integrating that as a path to to forgive ourselves for being human beings who change and grow in different ways sometimes. I heard somebody... When I say failure, I mean
2: it was probably a failure in some people's eyes. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. But you've come to the position, I don't know that it was. That's good. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: I just, I don't know who it is. I probably should have looked this up, but there's some... Uh, marriage uh, psychologist famous woman who said something like everybody in their lives has three marriages if they're no. lucky it's to the same person mm. i thought that was a Ooh, beautiful way to describe the <laughs> if fact they're that they're lucky oh. it, we go through changes sometimes yeah. it works to stay together <coughs> sometimes sometimes it doesn't
1: yeah yeah it's so funny i mean i have not been married terribly long but just to know that my wife is very different from when we first met you know and wow because she's kept growing she's kept growing and i love who she was but like Mm. my god like who she's become is like Mm. it's frighteningly beautiful because it's like that endless Mm. potential right and like i i can only hope that i'm
2: doing the same um, I bet she's saying the same thing. I hope she is about you maybe on a different not, podcast. Maybe <laughs> not the frighteningly beautiful part. But <laughs> I'm just
1: yeah, um, but I wonder, Richard, is that? I mean, I think of annulment, and this is again coming from an evangelical. So my my knowledge of annulment is very very limited. But like
2: you didn't have that in your church. No, we didn't have oh, that. Oh, we we okay. just kind of
1: uh, scapegoated. I think. No, uh, no, no, but no. is that the point of annulment? Is in some ways to recognize like this marriage has come to an end and, uh, and in, a, in a, a way ceremonial way.
2: legitimated. Yeah. I know it was misused. I know it was cheapened. Yeah. I know it was a juridical fiction, but you just centered in on the one part about it that was very good. We Catholics always found wiggle room,
0: <laughs> which was
2: an honoring of the human person, believe it or not. We know the law, but... Uh, We did that in regard to dispensations. We did that in regard to heaven and hell with purgatory. Uh, You know, like John of the Cross said, every soul comes to God by a different path. Mm. Uh, It was really the honoring of diversity. Now, I think we did it in a juridical way instead of a healing way. Although I have had people come to me, very sophisticated people who said, I submitted to that annulment process, hours of dialogue and writing and sharing and all. And I have to say it was like therapy. Mm. And here I was dismissive of annulment as a juridical fiction and had people who submitted to it and said, I got to be honest, it was really good. Mm. (laughs) So even bad things so-called can be very good when mature people submit to them, allow them, go through them. But thank you for seeing it that way. Uh, Yeah, annulment was making room for mistake and saying let's bless mistake so much so that maybe like you just said, Bree, I personally can be freed from any guilt because now I see in the light of grace and God it really wasn't mistake at all.
0: Yeah. I think, too, there's a lot of exciting movement toward, um, I mean, I know this This is kind of like roll your eyes because I think Gwyneth Paltrow made this famous, but conscious uncoupling. <laughs> this mm. idea that there could be a conscious way to look at one another and say what you said before, I love you, and, and I, I, that doesn't mean that this is working. Mm. I love you, and I bless you on your journey. I love you, and... I think it's time for us to yes. go mm. our separate ways, God yes. forgive yes. me, yes. I love you, and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that movement is the desire to recognize, maybe in um, a small way in, in in how we relate to divorce or separation, that the belief that nothing is wasted or lost, mm-hmm. and the belief that um, that there can be a way to do this that maybe is less damaging to our children and less damaging To, you know, because I think that's the main fear for many of us who have kids when we're in that dilemma is is the fear of, oh my gosh, I am going to screw up my kids for life. And just as a note, you know, to say that um, I feel like I I am an ambassador or a representative of a a very fortunate case of going through that process with somebody mature enough to where our co parenting relationship is so robust and healthy that that we spend. A lot mm. of time on our weekends together, mm-hmm. we do trips together, and so I think that's so hopeful as a, as a symbol of maybe um, hopefully more to come from mm-hmm. us to move beyond that dogmatic idea that somehow we failed, that somehow divorce is the worst, or that it has to be contentious and nasty. Yes. Although I know that for many, many people it really is, and it's excruciating mm. and painful and is a death and needs to be honored as going through a death. Yeah,
2: there's a reason that both Jesus and Paul were so critical of law. Because they are both saying there's a law higher than law and that's the law of love. Uh, But law takes subtlety and discernment and timing and wisdom. So I can see why, at least our church, but most churches in the end, it's just easier to fall back on either or nature of law. You married, the, the issue is settled. Uh, even though both parties might be dying, and this is going to kill the kids too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, moving back into um, some other conversations about boundaries and relationships, uh, Sheila uh, from Marindonville asks a question about boundaries uh, in ways in which uh, relationships have been violently broken. So she says, I want to see Christ in everyone and everything, but part of me cannot get past knowing that true evil does exist. How can we see Christ in everyone and everything without being naive? And if I can just frame this in a slightly more personal way, I think what she's getting at is that many of us have experienced violence at the hands of an individual. Um, assaults of all kinds, abuse of all kinds. So, what is the right frame for us to maintain a sense of, of boundary that names that what ha- that those actions were evil while still not scapegoating or denying Christ?
2: Yes. As you know, this is one of the reasons we were both drawn to that wonderful line from Carol Hauslander, uh, Christ in the tomb is still Christ. Mm. Now, if we had been taught better about that distinction between image and likeness. Image is objective, likeness is subjective, personal appropriation of the objective Christ. So what we're asking you to honor in in everybody is the objective Christ image, which doesn't mean you have to like that person, be best friends with that person, but neither may you disrespect speak evil of or you know any of the other things your attitude toward them must be that they are objectively christ and i've used that story about mussolini and hitler they were still christ i know that is so hard to say if we had suffered personally from them but that actually gives you the freedom to say but your likeness was not like christ at all so you can there's non-dual thinking again maintain the image but also speak truth about the likeness mm-hmm. and the likeness is in many cases what you did was wrong uh, these uh, court cases that are now based on restorative justice they have both parties maintaining or naming i should say their own fault if there is fault on both sides there usually is if it's even just maintaining the hurt over a ten-year period that's my mistake you know mm. uh, but name the fault and then move beyond it so uh, that uh, maintains the, the basic dignity of the other party which is given by God and cannot, dare not be disrespected. Even though there might be 50 human reasons, he's a slug, he's lazy, he's an abuser, He all true, 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 true. He has not appropriated the divine image, but objectively speaking, he is still a child of God. Mm-hmm.
0: That is so helpful, and it feels like such an important step to even begin to access forgiveness yeah you know because if I look yeah. at somebody who has perpetrated violence on me yeah. as I have you know a very painful example of in my own life, the tendency to want to just write this person off as a that's non-person right.
2: that's right it yeah. was so
0: strong for several years and maybe part of my of my healing is to name that was so evil that was so wrong what mm-hmm. happened and yet I'm just now beginning to get to the point in the journey where I can access the broken little boy in that man. Mm-hmm. The broken little boy who mm-hmm. had no mirroring of love to tell him that he was worthy without needing to to play games at power that led to the kind of violence that he perpetrated on women in his life. Mm-hmm. I, to access that, I have to have, that image of christ i have to believe in it and then i can say you're
2: just playing games
0: that's right or i'm trying to forgive with my head and i can't do that either because this is so bodily so it's like i have to have that sense of i can connect with that little boy in there and that's christ and the likeness the ways that those choices have played out i can say no to that Mm -hmm. i can say that is wrong evil and and is not like christ at all so it gives me a, a way to actually forgive that feels Authentic mm. and yep. real.
2: Couldn't say it better. But we're giving them a wonderful tool by that promise of an objective core. And that I can honor and I will honor. Uh, but that doesn't mean I need to personally, temperamentally like that person, want to, or need to go to cocktail parties with them.
0: Or be anywhere near that. Yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. That's right. Yeah. But if it did happen, I could pull up enough energy to be decent and respectful, but that doesn't mean best friends. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right.
1: And now we're gonna kind of shift here to some of the emotional boundaries, mm-hmm. uh, and in this question from Johnny from Pennsylvania. In thinking of me to we and the idea of community, how might a husband live out love, peace, and compassion? In a relationship with a wife facing an emotional disorder that's not only hurting her, but causing emotional pain and trauma to the husband and children in the home. I think of how Jesus kept strong emotional boundaries with some people, and even how his act of cleansing the temple was a form of love, peace, and compassion. I'm certainly not desiring to divorce or separate, but at the same time, what's a contemplative-seeking, non-dualistic thinking to do in such a chaotic and destructive environment? Do you have any thoughts, Richard? Mm.
2: Well, um, here's the first thing that comes to mind. The fact that Johnny can say this with such calm clarity, no uh, triggered words in there, tells me he's, he's probably mostly answered the question. This doesn't mean uh that he's supposed to roll over and play dead but his response is going to be mature i can tell that already mm-hmm. uh, whatever he decides to do now he says he's not seeking divorce or separation um, an emotional disorder that is not only hurting her but causing pain and trauma now trauma to the children that's unacceptable mm-hmm. uh, So if that's really true and I can only assume it is uh, he's got to go with her to some kind of objective counselor Mm -hmm. and let her recognize that this is traumatic if not for himself at least for the children. Mm -hmm. He doesn't mention that uh, does he? A counselor or anything? No. There needs to be a coach Mm -hmm. to help him and his wife see what's uh, authentic me and what's authentic we. Mm. (laughs) I would say that a case like this is gonna take months and -hmm. don't be discouraged by that. It could be one of the greatest growth experiences of their life. Mm. I, I wonder if she's willing to do that. If she isn't willing to do that, um boy you've got some praying to do.
0: Yeah. Well it's interesting how we have again set up the idea that boundaries are unloving.
2: Yes. You know what well put.
0: why why is it that we um fail to see sometimes that the boundaries are what creates the space that's necessary to look deeply at the inner life or address certain problems or take time for therapy or whatever it may be um I think we live in a culture that has so uh demonized or looked down on anything that's not everything's great. Yes. <laughs> Life it's is not wonderful, Christian. Right. Yeah. That it's like you, you know it. we hey, we all need therapy. We all gotta work right. on our stuff. That's right. We all you that's know right. to, to believe that somehow it's a failure to admit the fact that we need help when we need help. Yeah. I think is part of the problem that's plaguing us right now.
1: I think of the model of Jesus too of, you know, Anytime he was about to be stoned, you could, you could use this metaphorically, right? he would disappear into the wilderness or by himself mm, or when mm, even when, when the crowd would want to crown him king. There's times disappear. where he would disappear. Bec- and I think of that as... Um,
0: good emotional boundaries. <laughs> good emotional boundaries
1: of how do I protect myself I've from what the world that, wants Paul, to put upon me. That's very helpful. Yeah. And that's when I yes. think about my own like going to therapy practice yeah. uh, is how do I help protect this uh, of mm. my own sense of, of connection to myself the beloved uh, the divine in ways mm-hmm. so that i don't get i don't get lost or swallowed enmeshed. up yeah because yeah. this world is re- is relentless in some ways uh with the unboundaried um tack of information and and trauma from the world and i'm sorry i feel like i'm getting away from johnny's piece but i just the encouragement to also f- you know what does those boundaries look like for him himself and then for his kids mm-hmm. in that space
2: wow. mm-hmm. And unless he has good boundaries, sense of self, let's Mm -hmm. just go, he's not going to know how to protect his children's sense of boundaries. And that's his job as a father. In fact, if he wants to be sure of hateful conversations years later, you never protected us from mother. (laughs) If this is as bad as it sounds, you know, maybe she's a rageaholic, maybe she's, mentally unstable uh, emotionally unstable Uh, why didn't you protect us from this one woman's rage I'm just creating uh, controlling the whole house for 15 years Mm. and I know many houses that are that way one neurotic person is allowed to undo the children and I wanted them to love me so bad that I didn't leave or question it or Mm. that are there situations where you, as the husband, have to say, I, I can't let you speak this way yeah. in the presence of our our children.
0: Mm-hmm. Isn't that what you've mm. said about, you know, any institution that's too big to fail is evil, nah. you know? And in some ways, what I'm hearing in some of these questions is, you know, how do I deal with this? With you know, And I, and I get it. I'm not trying to condone the act no. of moving away or separating. However, I also think we also... Um, Misinterpret non-duality as not acting, <coughs> or not uh, not making mindful action, or uh, not taking a mindful choice, or not living. Uh, what's it, what's the word? I'm just up? being Skillful passive. Skillful means. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's almost as a well, you know, I'm non-dual. Um, if I'm a non-dual person, then I should just be able to somehow withstand mm. being in this chaotic, unha- unhealthy environment with my kids. When in reality, non-duality is what allows us to say the yes and like yes I love you and we need to we need to work on this. The kids are being impacted. Yep. Yes I love you and I, I and. believe that you want what's best for them too. So let's talk about this how we can yeah. do this. Yeah. But um,
2: for for the hundredth time, first we have to succeed at good dualistic clarity. Yeah. Then the response is non dual. Mm. But when you start with non dual mushiness everything is beautiful, everything goes, because I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. You end up with slop. And you really u- do. To
1: really. use your language, Richard, too, of the order, disorder, and reorder, mm-hmm. it's it's giving unnecessary disorder at the wrong time.
2: Very good. Nice. That's yeah. a nice way to say it. Yes.
0: Well, speaking of the uh, the confusion about non-duality, choice of action, and when to allow and when to step out, We also received a lot of questions about community in terms of relationships with with our existing churches or parishes and communities. So Angela from Perth, Australia, asks, having been a part of a conservative Catholic parish where fire and brimstone teaching is still alive, I now find myself firmly in the disorder box and I'm finding it increasingly difficult to relate to this community. Is this my opportunity to practice non-duality and just accept their ways of thinking without judgment? There's that non-dual, equating non-action. Or is it time to find another community that I have more in common with?
2: Well, I have to own my own prejudice in this answer. Perth, Australia is the only diocese in the world where the bishop called me in. Uh, and told me what I could say and what I could not say. No way. So so I know we're dealing with a culture here that is very um, black and white, mm. very, and it's very top-down. So let me just state that, uh, and maybe it'll unduly influence my response. Um, a lot of people, not just in Perth, Australia, but all over the world, are recognizing that the form of Christianity they were given, not just in the Catholic Church, but in any church, is just downright unhealthy. So what I'd encourage such people to do is to form however God leads them. It might be as small as two or three gathered in my name. And Jesus does say, there I am in their midst just as strong a promise of presence as the bread, which Catholics would have gathered around. I think we're seeing already now, and we'll continue to see for the immediate future, the formation of many para-church groups, prayer groups, study groups, Bible groups, service groups, mission groups, that gather in the Spirit of Christ because... What did Jesus mean by shake the dust from your feet? If they can't hear the word of love and are invested in the wor- world of fire and brimstone, you don't have to join a dysfunctional family. <laughs> uh, you don't have to let a dysfunctional family affect your your whole family, particularly your children. So um, I know... We Catholics were trained to stay in there at all costs, but that's pretty much coming to an end. And especially, to be perfectly honest, as we see how much of the clergy became sick people themselves by submitting to this obedience at all costs, conformity at all costs. I think, well, I'm going to put it, the game is over. It has produced too many unhealthy people. And, and Angela might be an example of someone who has to humbly, quietly, not in a righteous way, not in a superior way, but quietly shake the dust from her feet and said, I've got something to do with my 30 remaining years or whatever they are. It's the same. Oh, thank you for these sequence of questions. Because it's the same question as we talk about in divorce. Mm-hmm. There's mature divorce. There's immature divorce. There's mature leaving the church. There's immature leaving of the church. And our only job is to say, how do we do it maturely? Mm-hmm. Which might be a, a finding of Christ, probably will be, much more than staying in there and being angry every Sunday.
0: Ugh that sounds i mean that rings true <laughs> for me in my experience that i think probably echoes the experience of so many millennials of uh, the, the great exodus of leaving church you know mm. for those of us who grew up evangelical i i remember the morning when sitting in a sunday teaching i realized i don't want to be here and the second thought which came quickly after i don't think i have to be mm. and it was this revelation
2: what freedom
0: of wait a minute I am still completely connected to God, regardless of whether or not He's I'm out. sitting in this gray chair in this mega church. And what I found is exactly what you described, Richard, that for a period in my life, um, not fitting into an institutional church community has actually been the liberation of experiencing Christ more fully yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I even think about, you know, Sunday mornings with my kids now, which growing up Baptist, I, if, if there's Baptists listening, you know what I'm talking about. Sunday morning is not exactly a restful, peaceful, loving time because you're so stressed out to get out the door on time and to be perfectly dressed and to be perfect, you know, and your parents are barking at you and you're running and you're rushing to church and then you're exhausted. And all this to say that lately my practice on Sundays has just been to rest and play with my kids, you know, in our PJs or go for a hike in the woods And oh my goodness, if that's not the cathedral of Mm. Christ, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm.
2: What is.
1: And Richard too, I think you named it as uh, expanding the idea of what church is. It could be two or three gathered in, in a way that is, you know, it could be in a tavern or a pub or just on a walk. And I think about, I'm still a part of a church community here in Albuquerque, but it is not the end all be all for me because I think part of it is because of, of teachers like yourself who have helped kind of blast open the universal Christ in a way where how can I participate in Christ when I'm with a couple of friends in deep conversation or having hard conversations, asking ourselves questions that we don't ask anywhere else. Like to me that Christ is there and church is happening. Mm. Um, So I think, I think that's part of the invitation that I, that I hear you saying too, it doesn't have to be just within the confines of traditional church, like you're doing with your children as well.
0: Well, and I also know that some of our listeners are wanting to figure out if I do choose to stay, um, if I do feel like it's, it's right and okay and healthy for me to stay, how do I integrate these ideas? So yeah,
1: that's perfect. And this is a question from Angela from British Columbia. My minister has told me his job is to save as many people in our town as he can, and has not been been even able to open or explore any books that I have resonated with. I can only guess there are a lot of people like me in our church who would so appreciate and value the work, but I don't want to appear to be undermining our minister. I want to share this new and transforming way of being a Christian. I cannot even remember celebrating Easter so fully but it seems so at odds to create division over an idea that is so uniting. I do see Christ working in the church and have roots here, so I'm not sure if finding a new church is the best idea for me either. Maybe it is, or maybe God will work through me where I am planted. As I deepen my contemplative faith and so value its unity and wholeness, how do I best bring it up within my faith group who may be threatened by by these ideas?
2: Well, again, I see humility. I, I see respect in Angela. <clears throat> so my suspicion is she's going to do a, the right thing. All we can do is help her to, to trust that respect, to trust that uh, non-cynical response, and see where it leads her. And it could well lead her in a number of different ways. But... um Yeah, what she's a part of is what we now call a closed system. A closed system creates its own logic, its own vocabulary, and insists you stay with that vocabulary and that set of answers. Uh, Then the assumption here is to save as many people in our town as possible. Do you see what that's assuming that I am a saved person? (laughs) I am an enlightened person. Uh, You know, Jesus has this rather challenging line, you know. You go out and you make proselytes of other people, and he says it, I'm quoting Jesus, you make them twice as fit for hell as you are. Now, what would the situation that Jesus must have seen that would make him talk that way? I'm not saying he's twice as fit for hell. But it sounds like he's creating his own world in which he is the center stage. <laughs> uh, a lot of us clergy are tempted to do that. Uh, we, it's about creating codependency of the people upon my world, my language, where, where I'm in charge. Now, I don't want to accuse this man of all that. It might not be true, but it certainly could easily go in that direction. Or it's a narcissistic, self-affirming, self-validating system. A lot of churches are. And when you've been in that for some years, it's terrifying to leave it. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? It's like children say how even mothers who burn them with cigarettes... But she's still my mother. Mm. Mm. That shows how deep our sense of loyalty is. I want her love so bad. You'll see codependent people in churches. I don't know if this is the case. But that she says, I never remember celebrating Easter so fully. Mm. You can tell she got some experience of a living presence. Mm -hmm. So it makes me think she isn't getting living presence A live presence in her her present church.
0: I wonder too, Richard, if it um, has to do with some of what you talked about in marriage of making room for discord, in other Mm, words. You know, I think that unity versus uniformity piece is so Mm -hmm. big in church communities because, you know, what I'm sensing in her question is that there's probably parish members who would really enjoy a a study group, a Bible study group, Mm -hmm. or a book group maybe on these topics on the universal Christ, but that there would be uh, maybe either her minister or other people who would find that very threatening and very not okay. And I just wonder if sometimes the natural evolution of communities necessitates some of that, necessitates the courage of some people standing up and saying, you know what? No, we we actually really find this life-giving and it's okay if you don't. It's okay if you if you feel differently. Sometimes that seems to be the only way forward mm-hmm. that's authentic yeah. that's authentic because otherwise we're just all going to church with each other smiling and be like yeah everything's <laughs> great right. you know when deep down it's mm. like I'm not growing are you growing
1: yeah and that phrase you used Richard of a closed system like there's no room for a yes and in a closed no, system
2: no there isn't yeah it uh, it doesn't grow people up. It, it, it stays at that first level that I keep repeating of purity, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cleaning up. And By cleaning up means all agreeing to the same language, the same answers. Uh, it never moves to growing up, much less waking up and hardly ever showing up for service to the larger world. Mm-hmm. That's a closed system. Mm-hmm. It isn't interested in the rest of the world. It's keep this group together and um, much of the world is still at that level and and if this is any consolation this is not just true in christianity it's true in judaism Mm. islam buddhism even (laughs) Uh, hinduism uh, where it's what we want god for as we understand god is to take away my anxiety And keep my group together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's a legitimate starting point those are uh, legitimate needs but when that's still your need at the age of 40 and 50 what keeps my group together and what tells me I'm wonderful uh, you haven't got a transformative religion.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you know, with the, I'm thinking what just sprung to mind was the way that we used to do internships here at the CAC. And we would always, there'd be a ritual of releasing the interns. Oh, uh, yeah. And having gone through that experience, I mean, you couldn't get rid of me, but like having gone <laughs> through that experience, <laughs> it was like a, a closure to that time for that participation in that community. And I think that releasing, like if there's a way that if churches uh, could be mature enough in a way to, to hold that healthy boundary, if this is who we are you, are, you are obviously moving in a different direction, but we wanna release you and bless you on your way. Mm-hmm. It feels like some of that lack of ceremony or ritual, um, if that was in place, could help us move without being so tethered to a community of origin or, or mm-hmm. stuck from the, those roots that were, were pulling us back instead of allowing us to spring forward.
2: You know, they say all rituals started by the need for communities to legitimate rites of passage. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when there's no legitimating of rites of passage, there's no legitimating of growth beyond stage one. And so the whole community agrees to stay at stage one because we don't, we're a ritual, ritually starved society. Yeah. It's only keep doing our ritual over and over again. I mean, I know priests who have remained very immature their whole life by saying Mass every day. Mm-hmm. Mass, Mass, Mass. And it becomes a catatonic repetition. So I'm glad you brought up that idea of ritual. Mm-hmm. It, you, when mature communities can say, you've got to go here for a while. You've got to experiment with your newly discovered gayness. You've got to uh, live for a while with your attraction to the Episcopalian denomination. You've got to live for a while as a a, a traveler in Africa. Mm -hmm. And we bless those journeys instead of stopping them. And this is a differently shaped Christianity. But that it has rituals for sending and blessing, more than just rituals of condemnation. These fire and brimstone sermons or uh, shunning practices. Maybe that's what it more commonly is. Yeah. Just yeah. quiet yeah. shunning. Yeah. Well, she's now in her second marriage we won't smile at her this morning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or we won't let her come to communion, which is what some German bishops want now in our church. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's the clergy, the ministers taking upon themselves a power that Christ never gave them. He gave them power to forgive, to lose, but they like the power to bind up in things that are not even essential.
1: And that's it for today's episode of Another Name for Everything with Richard Rohr. This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation. Thanks to the generosity of our donors.
0: The beautiful music you're listening to is provided by Bird Talker. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing it with a friend to help create a bigger and more inclusive community. To learn more about Father Richard and to receive his free daily meditations in your electronic mailbox, visit cac.org. To
1: learn more about the themes of the universal Christ, visit universalchrist.org.
0: From the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good.